You're listening to a message from Micaiah Ermler, lead pastor of Southridge Church in San Jose, California. This week's awesome message will start in a few seconds. But first, we hope you will stay connected with Southridge by liking us on Facebook or by following us on Instagram and Twitter. Search for the handle at Southridge Now and click the follow button so you can receive uplifting, encouraging content right in your feed. Thanks again for listening. And now, here is Pastor Micaiah. Hi, Southridge friends and family. It is great to see you. My name is Pastor Micaiah Ermler. I'm so glad that you're joining us. Wherever you're watching from, let me be the first to say happy Sunday and happy Valentine's Day. So, in case you haven't bought your chocolates, flowers, roses, or reserved a restaurant on open table, I think you still have time to get out there and to make a uh, great Valentine's Day, have a great time with your spouse or your significant other. So glad that you're joining us. If this is your first time, say hello in the chat. Our online hosts are ready to pray with you, serve you, answer any questions you might have, as well as just to be there to help guide you through our service. Well, we're wrapping up a series entitled Faith Over Fear. And we've been looking at the fact that it's really easy nowadays to find something to be afraid of, isn't it? I mean, you just don't even have to watch the news to find anything to be afraid of. You don't have to go to social media. It just seems like it's right there out in the streets. It's everywhere now. And so we as uh, Christians need to know how our faith can rule and master our fear. We said a couple weeks ago, what we worry about, what worries us, masters us. And I'm deeply concerned that as Christians, we are worrying about things that have then become masters over us. But the Bible tells us that Jesus has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of a sound mind. Meaning we don't have to lose our minds as everybody else has lost their minds. We can stay strong in the spirit. We can stay strong, rooted in God's word, focus on his will and see that he is going to get a victory out of everything that is happening. And so over the last several weeks, we've been studying the nation of Israel, especially the early history of Israel as they had just come out of Egypt. And we saw how God again and again delivered them from their fear. Their first fear was that the Egyptians who had enslaved them were murdering their children. And then we saw how God miraculously saved them with the plagues and then God leads them out into the wilderness to the Red Sea and God saves them and then they're out in the desert and they find a little bit of water but the water is rank and it's putrid and God saves them from that situation. Then we see that they don't have any food. God once again provides manna in the wilderness and quail in the evening and then we saw how God is always leading us through these situations. Well as we wrap this series up and as we look at how we overcome fear, many times when we see somebody preaching or speaking about fear, we often wrongly assume that they have mastered their fear. I need to tell you a little bit about my backstory. I was a child who couldn't sleep in his room by himself. I was the child who had to have the lights on or I'd sneak into my parents' room, my brother's room, or I'd sleep in the hallway with the lights on because I was afraid of the dark. Not only was I afraid of the dark, I was afraid of scary movies. You say, what scary movies? Like The Wizard of Oz, I couldn't handle it. Flying monkeys, no sir, that's not for me. And uh, I was always just a, a little bit afraid. Afraid to get my first job, afraid to be out by myself, 
I was afraid to ask a girl out, so all through high school, I never asked a girl out. It wasn't until in college that I was like, I think it's about time to ask a girl out. So the first girl I asked out, she said no. I was a little bit disappointed. I'm going through therapy. You pray for me. But it's one of those things where it's easy to find yourself afraid. But over time, I learned that fear is everywhere. And I will always be able to find something to be afraid of. My dad was a pastor, so sometimes he would have the teenagers preach on a Sunday. Or we would have dramas and musicals. And I'd get up on stage and I would forget all my lines. I would forget the part I was supposed to sing because I had so much fear. I was so nervous and I didn't want to get up in front of people. And here's the thing. We had a very small church. There couldn't have been more than 50 or 60 people out there. But I was terrified of the faces who were looking at me. And so I learned something early on. I learned that courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is just knowing what not to be afraid of. Let me say that again. Courage is just knowing what not to be afraid of. You see, today we see in our nation, we see in the world, we see in our country, we see in our churches, in our homes, that there is a loss of a fear of God. And because we no longer fear God, we fear everything else. I heard a great quote as I was reading a book recently, and I'm going to share it with you because I think it's so profound. It's a quote that when I read it, I thought that sums it up. And it said this, if we don't fear God, we have everything to fear. But if we fear God, we have nothing to fear. Isn't that amazing? You see, we're looking at the nation of Israel and God is teaching them to trust him. Right now, God is teaching you and me to trust him. And what does he use? Does he take us to school to learn textbooks? Does he take us to the classroom? No, he takes us to the classroom of life. Teaching us to trust him might be a job loss. It might be health loss. It might be a loved one or a friend or a coworker that we lose. It might be a relationship that breaks up. And though I'm not here to just tell you, yes, God is in all of that. I'm here to tell you there is always something that we can learn that God is doing through that. And so we come to our final message in this series, and I want to give us help to overcome our fear. And we're going to be studying in Exodus 17. It's a longer passage of scripture, but I believe if you stay with me through the end, you will reap the rewards. So let's begin reading Exodus 17, verse 1 through verse 16. We're going to read the entire chapter, but you read it together with me because I believe that God is going to show us something powerful this afternoon or this morning. Notice verse 1, it says, Then all the congregation of the children of Israel set out on their journey from the wilderness of sin, according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped in Rephidim. Please underline and mark Rephidim. We're going to come back to that. But there was no water for the people to drink. Once again, this is familiar, isn't it? There's no water for the people to drink. So notice verse 2. Therefore the people, they cried out to God and they said, God, you can provide for us. You can do everything, right? Is that what it says? No. It says, therefore, the people contended with Moses and said, give us water that we may drink. So Moses said to them, why do you contend with me? Why do you tempt the Lord? And the people thirsted there for water. And the people complained against Moses and said, why is it that you have brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord saying, what shall I do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Go on before the people and take with you some of the elders of Israel. Also take in your hand your rod with you, which you struck the river, and go. 
Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock in Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water will come out of it, and the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. So he called the name of that place Massa and Meribah because of the contention of the children of Israel, and because they tempted the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Now Amalek came and fought with Israel in Rephidim. And Moses said to Joshua, Choose us some men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses said to him, and fought with Amalek. And Moses and Aaron and Hur went up on the top of the hill. And so it was, when Moses held up his hand, that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands became heavy, so they took a stone and put it under him. And he sat on it, and Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. So Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this for memorial in the book and recount it in the hearing of Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called its name, The Lord is my banner, or Jehovah Nisai. For he said, Because the Lord has sworn, the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Here is a profound passage, and I want to, just by way to introduce it, let you know and break it up into what's happening here. You see, Moses is faced with some difficult circumstances, is he not? He's faced with the fact that here are the children of Israel, once again are complaining about water. And now, they even talk about stoning Moses because they don't have any water. So Moses cries out to God out of fear. So Moses is facing fear, but that's not the only thing he faces in this chapter, is it? In verse number eight, there's an enemy called Amalek. Amalek is a distant relation to the nation of Israel. They came from Esau's line. Who's Esau? Jacob's brother. Jacob went to Egypt and formed the nation of Israel, while Esau formed the nation of the Amalekites. And so they shouldn't have been fighting, but now there's a fight. So not only on top of the fact that he's worried for his life, he's afraid, he's in fear, but now he also has a fight, but that's not the only thing in this passage. We skip down a few verses to verse number 12, and we see that Moses, he's standing on this mountaintop, this hillside, and he's lifting up his arms, and he's holding up the rod of God, and as he holds it up, the nation of Israel is defeating the Amalekites. But just like you and I sometimes get tired, his hands got heavy and he starts to bring them down. When he does that, the Israelites begin to lose. So he's trying with all his might to keep the rod up and his hands outstretched, but he's getting tired. He's getting fatigued. So on top of everything that he's dealing with, he's facing fear, he's facing a fight, and he's facing fatigue in his life. You know, you and I are going to be bombarded with many of the exact same things. As a matter of fact, right now, as you're watching this, you may be sitting there thinking, I'm afraid. I have fear. I'm in a fight. Maybe you're fighting with your spouse, fighting with the coworkers, family. Maybe you're fighting a legal dispute. I don't know what your fight is, but I believe many of us are fighting some type of battle. And then on top of that, you might just be thinking, I am so tired. Maybe you're just tired of fighting the spiritual battle that you're facing. Maybe it's a physical thing where you just say, man, I'm just worn out. I'm just so tired of everything that's going on. Here's what's interesting. In verse number one, I had you underline the word 
Rephidim, you know that place literally means rest? I find it interesting that they're in the place of rest, but there's no refreshment. You might be at that place where you say, you know what, I try to get some rest, but there's just, I rest, but there's no refreshment to it. I get my eight hours, I get 10 hours, but I wake up just as tired as before. You ever gone on the family vacation and you're gone for 10 days, two weeks, seven days, man, you come back more tired than you were when you went on the vacation? And that's life, isn't it? That you're looking for some type of rest. Maybe you're looking for rest in a relationship and the relationship's exhausting. Maybe you think with that new job, oh, this job will provide. And so what do you do when you're faced with that fight, you're faced with fatigue and you're faced with fear? My prayer is that maybe and hopefully you're not facing all those at the same time like Moses is, but I bet many of you, you're facing all three at the same time. It's a triple threat, isn't it? Kind of seems like it's the perfect combination that could take you out forever. Maybe it's leading you to depression, maybe even suicidal thoughts. Maybe it's leading to a dark place you never thought you would go. Maybe because you're dealing with all of it at once, you're getting distant from the Lord. Maybe the social distance has led you to spiritual distance. Maybe the Bible hasn't been open and read for a while. Let me be honest, I face those moments in this season. Maybe it's been a while since you cried out to God. You cried out to everybody else. You cried out to the boss to give you a raise. You cried out to the spouse to treat you better. You cried out to the kids to just be quiet and leave you alone. You cried out to all these things. But maybe, maybe God's calling you back to Him in this season. Because there's something powerful. As, as you're going through all of this, it's going to lead you to ask a question that the Israelites ask. And it's found in verse number 7. You say, what's that question? Verse number 7, let me turn back to it. Because I think it's powerful. Very end. Here's what the Israelites say to God. Is the Lord among us or not? What were they asking? Here, Moses is going through fear, a fight, and a fatigue, and it led him to ask a question. Maybe right now you're asking the same question. God, are you still with me? God, are you still here? God, I, I need help. Can't you see in your all-powerful, all-knowing omniscience? Don't you see what I'm going through? I'm so tired, God. I'm so afraid, God. I'm fighting this battle and I'm worn out and you don't know what to do. And it might be real easy to give in to the fear, the discouragement, but I'm here to tell you, even in those most difficult moments, that God is with you. God's with me. He's with us. He has not abandoned us. And I want to prove it to you out of this passage. First of all, I want you to see that God was with Moses in his fear. You say, how was he with Moses? See, he was afraid of being stoned and the children, they wanted water, but God showed up and water came out of a rock. I'm by a beautiful stream here and there's water flowing. But imagine you're in the desert. What's the one thing you're most worried about? Water. And here the children of Israel, they're crying out for water. They're desperate for water. I don't know how murdering Moses and stoning him would help them get water, but yet in anger, they were upset. But that anger was actually because they were afraid. They were afraid. So what is, what, our fear leads us to do things we otherwise wouldn't want to do. But here's what blows my mind. They've been in this situation before with water and God miraculously provided water. What I'm now realizing is that people that want to be afraid will always have a reason to be afraid. I, I wish God would snap his fingers and take every fear away. 
I wish there was a pill I could swallow. I wish there was a drug I could take that would just take all my fear away. But there isn't. And guess what? That's how life is. And you and I can bemoan that it's not like that, but God uses the difficult situations. Well, we don't have to be afraid. As a matter of fact, we can trust God. But if you're thinking that once COVID-19 is over, I'll never be afraid again, you'd be wrong. There will always be something that'll lead you to be afraid because fear sells. Because fear gets us to do something. It's a motivator. We use it for our kids. What do we say to our kids? If you don't practice piano, I'm gonna ground you. If you don't clean up your room, I'm taking away your iPad. If you don't do this, I'm gonna do this. What are we trying to do? We're using fear to get them to do something. Why do we use fear? Because it works. So don't you think the media is gonna use fear on you? Don't you think your boss will use fear? Hey, if you don't hit your deadlines, you're fired. Everybody uses fear, but fear is a manipulation tool. Everybody's using it. God's not trying to get you to be afraid. He's trying to get you to see that you can trust Him. You don't have to give in to that fear. But here's the thing. Some of us are using fear and we're using it as an excuse why we don't got to get close to God. Right now, you and I need to be drawn close to God more than ever. We need to be in the Word. We need to be in prayer. We need to be in fellowship with God's people. And I'll show you why that's important in this passage. We need God. We need to feed off of Him. The Bible says in Psalms 42, as the deer pants, desires the water, so my soul desires you. You and I in this season need to desire God. We need to run to Him. First of all, I want you to see there will always be a reason to be afraid. The children of Israel, they were just looking for a reason to be afraid. Why? Because fear led to their anger. Their anger led them to do things they otherwise wouldn't do. So if you're looking for a reason, there'll always be a reason. Notice this, but I want you to understand, fear costs more than it's worth. Their fear was leading them to compromise their faith. It was costing them something. Your fear is going to cost you. I mean, think about it. Last year, everybody's afraid, so they bought toilet paper. That cost them something, and they still got tons of toilet paper. And I got to be honest, I saw some people at uh, Costco trying to return that toilet paper. Nobody wants your half-used toilet paper. Don't be trying to return that kind of stuff now. And uh, so uh, uh, it cost them something. Now that's silly, but our fear can cost us in other ways too. We can be afraid and so we think, man, I gotta, I gotta cut off from relationship, I gotta cut off from church, I gotta cut off from God, I gotta tr- cut off from these friendships. And it's leading us to make decisions that are not wise decisions. Fear will cost us. What'll it cost you? I want you to see this. Fear hurts you and your future more than your failure ever could. You say, what do you mean? The nation of Israel, if they don't learn to overcome their fear, it leads them to a situation in numbers. What situation is it? You see, the nation of Israel comes to the promised land. They get there and they send 12 spies into the land. Two come back with a great report, Joshua and Caleb, and they say the land is flowing with milk and honey and we are more than able to take this land. It is God's promised land. Let's go, let's do it now. But then there were 10 men who said, yes, the land does flow with milk and honey. Yes, it is a beautiful land. Yes, it's a prosperous land. But the children of Anakim are there. The giants are there. And we're just grasshoppers. And the Bible says that the ten turned the hearts of the people so that they were afraid. And they once again began to pick up stones because they wanted to stone Joshua and Caleb and Moses and Aaron. Their fear led to anger and their anger led them to almost want to murder somebody. That's not the worst part. 
You see, your fear hurts your future more than failure ever could. You say, what do I mean? God saw that situation and then God said to Moses, take the children back into the wilderness. Those that murmured and complained, those that didn't have faith, they're gonna die in the wilderness. And I'm not gonna let you into the promised land until that generation dies out. Their fear kept them out of the promised land. But here's what's amazing. God had forgiven the nation of Israel over so many things. I mean, in a few chapters here, if you keep studying the Bible, you'll see the children of Israel, they're gonna start worshiping a golden calf and they're gonna have this wild orgy and it's gonna be all kinds of sin. It's gonna be perversion and God forgives them from that. But here, it finally came back to bite them. Their fear hurt their future more than their failures ever did. Are you allowing your fear to hurt your future? I know sometimes we don't see it, but maybe tonight, this morning, wherever you're viewing this, God is saying, hey, you're making decisions out of fear that are gonna hurt your future. You're setting up your children to always be afraid. You're setting up your friends and colleagues to always be afraid. Hey, I'm a pastor and the job of a pastor is even though that there are things that are out there that are scary, I gotta lead in faith. I have to have courage, and courage is knowing what not to be afraid of. And courage means we go forward anyway. Courage means we stand up to our fear. It means we say, God, you are for me, and I am more than a conqueror, so I will overcome my fear. I'm so glad that I didn't give in to fear over asking a girl out that the first girl said no, because otherwise I wouldn't have asked Jane out, and I wouldn't have asked her dad, and if I could marry her, who said no three times. I had to overcome my fear. I'm so glad I didn't, I didn't give in to my fear the, the uh, January 26, 2014. I woke up that morning because it was the first Sunday of our church and I was so afraid. I was like, what am I doing? Why am I preaching to these people? What a terrible idea. Nobody's gonna come to this church, but here we are seven years later about to purchase a property. We're growing. We've got an online audience who I love and I can't wait to see you in person when you feel comfortable. We can't wait to see you. We've got an in-person audience that's grown. We're seeing people saved and baptized and it all would have been stopped if I would have let my fear determine my future. You see, fear can hurt your future more than your failures. And I know some of you, you're afraid to go for that job. You're afraid to say, you know what? I don't know if I should go back to church. You're letting a fear determine your future. And it's coming back to hurt you. And it's time to say, God, what am I doing right now? And it's time that you and I say, Lord, you can help me with this. And I want you to learn these lessons. And so fear wasn't going to stop him. But here's the deal, though. Fear makes us forget. And that's what's so sad. See, the children of Israel, they're learning the same lessons. If you've been tracking with us over the last several weeks, you can go back and look at the lessons. Nothing's new. They've been through this before. But fear made them forget. But as I was thinking about it, I was like, how odd is that that they've already forgotten how God has saved them in the past? And then I thought about it. No, they didn't forget. They didn't forget about the water. They didn't forget about the man and the Red Sea. No. As a matter of fact, you read the New Testament and they still talk about it thousands of years later. They didn't forget. So what happened? It wasn't that they forgot the memory. It was that they forgot the feeling of the memory. You see, I think some people come to church because they just want that feeling again. They just want that feeling. This is why people break up in their marriages and break up in their relationship. I just don't feel in love anymore. This is why people leave jobs. I just don't feel like this career is satisfying anymore. Is that really what it's all about? Like the feeling? You're chasing the feeling? I mean, churches are marketing to people like you. They don't call it a church service. They call it a worship experience because they want you to feel something. You know, 
God is not always about how you feel about something. He's about obedience regardless of how I feel because my feelings are fickle. And while my feelings are always changing, I've got convictions that say even in spite of how I feel because I don't feel like eating healthy. I don't feel like working out. I don't feel like being a good dad. I don't feel like being a faithful husband. But I have to have convictions to say, no, this is the right path. And this is the path that my future self will look back and say, thank you for making the wise decisions. So think forward. Reverse engineer your life. Make the decision that your future self will say, thank you for eating carrots and not potato chips. Thank you for staying faithful to the same woman for the next 30 years. Your kids are going to look at you as a role model. Thank you for being faithful to your employees and your employer because it makes a difference that now you're the model manager, the model boss, the model uh, uh, employee. They look to you. But some of us, we give up too soon and we cop out on some things and not see that God has a great plan for you. But yet, you and I can't give in to our feelings. And that's what I'm seeing in the church today. I'm seeing people being led by feelings. They say, no, 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 I got, I got facts for this thing and I got this. My friend, don't you understand that there's facts on both sides? Don't you understand that both sides are on this thing? So you have to say, I'm not choosing a side, I'm choosing God. I'm choosing God. Because God didn't come to take sides, He came to take over. So what is God telling you to do right now? Is God telling you to stay home on your couch? Is God telling you to break up with your spouse? Is God telling you to leave that job? Is God telling you to move? Is God telling you to shut those people out of your life? Is that God saying that? Stop listening to the family. Stop listening to the news. Stop listening to the influencers. Start listening to your creator, your God. He trumps everything else that you're listening to. And my friend, if you make a decision and you come to me asking for validation, I will ask you, did God say or say anything about this? And unless God has spoken to you, you don't have the answer. Go to God. Seek God. Moses, what does he do in verse 4? He cries out to God and God gives him an answer. And man, what an answer. Water from a rock. So as you are facing fear, you go to your God. But here's the best part. They, we started with the question, is God here? Yes, He's there. How is He there? Through the rock. And how do we know that? See, the book of Chronicles, or excuse me, 1 Corinthians says this. The Apostle Paul's writing of this situation, and he says, And they all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. This is the Apostle Paul writing about Exodus 17, saying, This rock was not just a rock. This rock was Christ. Now, here's the amazing part, that Christ was with him. The Bible says that God told Moses, strike the rock with a rod. You see, when he struck the rock, when he struck Christ, water flowed out. Mercy flowed out. Here's the deal. Did any of these people that wanted to stone Moses deserve that water? Absolutely not. But that's God's mercy and his grace that he poured out the water. See, Christ was with him. This is a picture of Christ's substitutionary atonement. That Christ took the beating and we got the blessing. See, Christ died on the cross so that we could have salvation. So my friend, if you've never asked Jesus Christ to be your Savior, understand that you cannot work your way to heaven. It's not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but by the shedding of His blood. It was Jesus Christ in a substitutionary atonement. He took the payment that you and I could never pay and we received the blessing. So if you've never asked Jesus Christ to be your Savior, you need to understand right now in this situation, you say, I'm afraid, Christ is there. You say, I'm in a fight, Christ is there. You say, I'm fatigued, Christ is there. You say, how is He there in the fight? Once again, I want to show you Christ was there. See, the Amalekites, they represent the flesh. 
They represent this, this battle, this army. But notice something happens. As Moses lifts up his hands, the Israelites win the battle. When he lets his hands down, they lose the battle. So what's happening on the ground isn't actually determined by what's happening on the ground. It's determined by what's happening on the hill. You see, Moses is standing up above the fray and he's standing up on the hill. He's in between Aaron and Hur. He's suspended above them and he's got the rod of God. Here's what's interesting. God told him to take the rod of God. Wait a minute. I thought this was Moses' rod. We see in this passage, it says it's now the rod of God. Verse number nine. It says, and on the hill with the rod of God in my hand. You see, he lifted up an emblem that God is with us. God's presence is here. You're in a fight. God's still there. You're afraid. God's still there. God is showing up in every situation. You say, I just don't see him. Then my friend, you're actually not looking for him. You're trying to avoid him. You're like the student in the classroom when the teacher writes the math problem on the board and then turns around and then says, who would like to answer it? And everybody averts their eyes. I think you're feeling the conviction of God right now. I think you know your distance from him. And you say, I, Pastor, I can't, I can't see God in this situation. I can't see him because your eyes aren't open to him. He's all over this situation. He's everywhere. I am seeing God show up and do miracles and things in this season unlike I've ever seen before. And if you and I will just say, God, I know you're out there. I know you're working. And open our eyes. We will see him as he's working. But you say, how did that rod become the rod of God? It was Moses' rod. Exodus chapter number four. You see that God tells Moses to do something. God's calling Moses and saying, I put my mantle. I put my calling, my, my plan on your life. And then Moses says, I can. I'm not eloquent of speech. And God says, what's in your hand? He says, a rod. And at that moment, God says, throw it down. He throws it down. It turns into a snake. And then God tells him, pick it back up. Here's what's amazing. He threw down what was his and he picked back up what was God's. There's something powerful in that. You're going to sometimes have to throw down your plans and pick up God's plans. You're going to have to throw down your will and pick up God's will. You're going to have to throw down your dreams and pick up God's dreams. Because it's been too long that you've been doing it your way. And your way has led you to fear, a fight, and fatigue. And if you're tired of it, and if you're afraid of it, and if you're fighting it, it's time to throw it down. My friend, put that in the chat. Throw it down. You've been holding on. You're like the little kid who, who got his hand stuck in an expensive vase. Man, he lifted up, and his parents are so afraid because this is an expensive vase. So they put soap. They put oil. They tried to get his hand out. So last thing they resorted to was they had to break the vase. They broke it, and then they looked at the boy's hand, and inside his hand was a little toy car. And he wouldn't let go of the toy because he wouldn't let go of the toy. They had to break the vase. God is having to break things in your life because you're holding so tight onto it. It's time that you throw it down and when you pick it back up, you're picking up something that is God's, a presence and symbol of God. And so you held it back up and this was the banner of God, God's banner over them. And when he held it high, they were winning the battle and the children of Israel could look up to Moses standing there holding the line and saying, we fight for God. And they saw that it was an emblem that drove them to continue to fight. And I love it. It's a great picture. It's a picture of God's banner. 
and God's banner over you and God's banner over me that we are fighting a fight for God but we wrestle not against flesh and blood you see it was not a physical battle it was a spiritual battle your battle right now is a spiritual battle your battle is not depression that's not your fight your battle is not financial your battle right now is not with your spouse or your children your battle is a spiritual battle so right now grab the sword of the spirit take the helmet of salvation Take the breastplate of righteousness, feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, the belt of truth, taking the shield of faith that you can quench every fiery dart of the enemy and go into battle with the armor on, my friend. Many of you are going into battle without being prepared. We need to get the whole armor of God so we can fight. You say, man, but I don't know if I'm ready because there's this battle. Matter of fact, the Amalekites, they came out of nowhere to attack them. They were at Rephidim resting and there's a battle at a place of rest. But these Amalekites, they were sneaky. Man, they were sneaky. They came in the back and they attacked the weakest and the children and the women. And it was unfair. And many of you think, right now, God, this fight is unfair. It's unfair that I'm going through job loss. It's unfair that I got furloughed. It's unfair that I got COVID-19. It's unfair that I can't see my friends. It's unfair that this is happening, this is happening. Can I tell you though, it was unfair in Israel's favor. Life is unfair, but it's in your favor because you're a child of God. And the Bible says he's working all things together for your good to them who are the called according to his purpose. So life is unfair, but it's unfair in your favor. Friends, stop looking at life in the way that, oh, everything's unfair. Why did they get that? And why did they have that? Why do they drive that? Why are they married? Why do they get kids? Stop looking at life as unfair. It's unfair in your favor. Who's going to win this battle? The Amalekites or the Israelites? The Israelites. But yet you and I are cultivating a culture of fear. Don't cultivate that. Don't let that last. You see, here's the best part. That God tells you and I to fight, but he's really the finisher. He's the one that's winning this battle. You see, you and I, we look to God for our strength. We look to him for help. You say, yes, but what about fatigue? What do I do? I'm tired. Man, this is what's so powerful. What does God do in that situation? He brings Aaron and her, and they slide a rock under him. Everything has to do with this rock. We're back to the rock. And I'm not talking Dwayne the Rock Johnson. We're talking about the rock, God's presence. And he rests on it, and he holds it up. And then Aaron and her are holding up his arms as he holds the rod of God. And even in that moment of fatigue, all of a sudden, he finds strength. You see, there is strength when we find people around us. Right now, you might be weak. Do you have a good life group you're plugged into? Say, I can't go in person. We have them on Zoom. Uh, you say, man, I feel distanced from church. Guess what? We got a 2,000 seat auditorium. You can sit in the balcony. There's plenty of social distancing. And the Supreme Court announced that we can have 25% capacity. So we'd love to see you. But here's the truth, my friend. You and I have to get around the right people. Some of us don't have an Aaron and her in our life. You've got somebody that's telling you right now, break up with him. Leave your wife. Leave your husband, leave your family, leave your church, leave your job. Where are those voices coming from? Where are those voices that are coming from? Giving into doubt and depression. You need to have an Aaron and her that says, nope, nope, Moses, I know you're tired, but we're going to carry you in this season. Who's carrying you in this season? Who's helping you? I know it's hard. I know it's difficult. But if you surround yourself with people that can help lift you up, that can help bear you up in this difficult season, people that will come out and be there, there's an amazing story on, uh, I think it was 1944, the island in Japan, Iwo Jima, 
There was a flag that these men wanted to raise. It's now an iconic picture. There's now a memorial, and it's called the flag of Iwo Jima. And you see one man beginning to lift a flag. Did you know when you study the story about that, this was on the peak of a volcanic island, and they wanted to rally the troops as they were uh, advancing on these islands. The battle was not over. These men were not under the cover of safety. As a matter of fact, it was a risk. But one man got an old pipe. This is a lead pipe attaches a flag to it and begins to raise it, but it's too heavy. So another man drops his rifle, runs over to his side, helps him. And another man, even though they're in the middle of a fight, even though there's enemies around them, they said, we got to get this flag. We got to get this banner up so that every one of our American brothers and sisters who sees us fighting, they will rally to this. And so they lifted it up together. You know, my friend, you're trying to lift your marriage and it's hard at times. You need somebody to help you. You're trying to lift parenting, and it's hard. You need somebody to help you. You're trying to lift your spiritual life. It's hard. You need somebody to help you. You're trying to lift your financial situation. You need somebody to help you. Get in a godly life group. Get some godly friends. Don't isolate yourself, because if Satan can isolate you, guess what? All of a sudden, that's when he can pick you off. Because if you're isolated, you are easy pickings for the enemy. You say, well, I got my spouse, and we're good, right, right? Well, guess what? Sometimes even a spouse, that's not enough. You need more people to fight the discouragement in your life. So understand all of this. We are not alone. All through this, God is all over the situation. So what you're going through, you're not alone. So don't go give in to fear. Don't let the fear overcome you. Don't let what's happened around you. And especially because Moses, his arms were heavy. But here's what's interesting. Why were his arms getting heavy? Because of gravity. What is gravity? An unseen force. Some of the things that are pushing you down right now are unseen forces. And you need God's help to help you lift against those unseen forces. Don't fight that battle alone. You have help. You have a pastor, a church, a church family, got life groups. Do not do this alone. We're here with you. We love you and we want to see you grow and thrive and have the best year ever. And we're here to help you. So as we close, we're looking at the fact that the title for this series is Faith Over Fear, right? Let me ask you a question. Moses, where is he? We end this passage and he's up and he's raised a banner. And we sing a little song in Sunday school called Jesus is the rock of my salvation. His banner over me is love. And where is he standing? Moses is on a hill up high over everything. Moses said, I'm going to get my faith over my fear. The battle's down there. The desert's down there. The dryness is down there. Everything's down there. I'm going to get my faith over it. My friend, as we wrap up this series, let's get our faith over all our fears. Because there's help on that hill. There's help up there. God has help for you. Look to God and get up over all of your fear. That's what Moses did. He got up above it. And he said, hey, we're still standing. We're still here. He didn't give in to his fear. Even though there's a battle raging, man, he lifted that banner. You know, we're coming up on the 200th anniversary of the battle for the Alamo, which won independence for the state of Texas. The battle took place on uh, February 1833. Now, that battle was a decisive loss for the Texans, was it not? We saw three heroes died. James Bowie, Davy Crockett, and then there was another man. I just forgot his name, but you put it in the chat and helped me out. But those three men gave their lives 
200 were fighting about four to 5,000 uh, men from General Santa Ana's army. And they all gave their life. But not too much time passed before another man by the name of Sam Houston and his 800 at the Battle of San Jacinto, he attacked General Santa Ana and it was a decisive victory. But something that Sam Houston said, I bet you and I both know. He said this little phrase, remember the Alamo. You remember that in history? Did you study it? Remember the Alamo. I think that's interesting because the Alamo was a crushing defeat. But Sam Houston didn't see it as a defeat. He saw it as his motivation to win. I don't know what this life has been, but we raise our banner over our defeats. We raise it and we say, hey, remember the Alamo. Remember God's love. Remember God's faithfulness. We lift our banner over it and we say, no, 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 I'm not going to look at it as a defeat. I'm not going to look at it as depression. I'm not going to look at it as a job loss. I'm going to see that God is over this. It's faith over fear because God is with us. We don't need to ask, is the Lord among us or not? He is, my friend. He's with you and he's with me. And God is doing something great. And at Southridge, I like to remind people, the best is yet to come. So if you've never asked Jesus Christ to be your Savior, right now, would you invite Him into your heart? Would you pray and say, Lord, I thank you for your substitutionary payment. I thank you that you were the rock that was struck so that I could have salvation. And your banner over me, it is love. And Lord, I trust you and I know that you are good and you're going to work all things together for your good and glory. And so, Father, we got to trust you. Would you pray that prayer? Our online host would love to pray with you. We are praying with you. We're here for you. If you need anything, reach out to us. Reach out to me. We want to see you grow and thrive. And I look forward to joining you. And I hope you have a wonderful Valentine's Day. So as we wrap up, God bless you. And remember that I love you and God loves you. We'll see you soon. We hope you were encouraged by today's message from Pastor Micaiah. If it was a blessing to you, don't forget to share it with a friend or family member this week. If you have any questions, we'd love to hear them. Get in touch with us by visiting SouthridgeSanJose.com slash connect. Again, that's SouthridgeSanJose.com slash connect.